to be in the house of God tonight. <clears throat> Hallelujah. It's good that we can come here in His Spirit and feel that we're among friends. We're among people of like precious hunger and passion. We want to hear from God. We want to move of God. And I'd like to preach a message tonight <clears throat> by the grace and help of God. I apologize for my voice. It pains you a lot more than it pains me. My apologies. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to make it through it. I've got a hard cough drop on that side, so I'll do my best not to spit it out while I'm preaching. Uh, try to keep it tucked in there. We'll see. Hallelujah. If it comes flying out, just forgive me. I've got another one in my pocket. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'd like to read a passage of Scripture in opening day. It's from the chapter 16 of the book of Acts. I'm reading the 25th verse. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. It's a simple passage of Scripture. It comes in the midst of a glorious story. But the Scripture says, Luke writing in Acts 16, 25, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Now, surrounding this passage of Scripture is a tremendous miracle story. And I want to get to that miracle story. I'd like to set it up, though, a little bit for us tonight. How many of you like to be in control? Trick question. Trick question. How many of you like to be in control? Now, some of you aren't raising your hand. I've talked to you long enough. I know some of you that I've talked to like to be in control. But I'd like to tell you, even when you think you're in control, you're not. Some of you are vacation planners. You plan your vacation. You plan when you're leaving. You plan how you're traveling. You plan who's going with you. You plan where you're going to eat that very first meal when you get wherever you're going. You plan that whenever you get there, you plan where you all are going to stay that first night and every night. You plan what you're going to do the first day, the second day, the third day. You've got it all lined up. And the first two days, it rains. Yeah. Sister Gail says, I knew it. Yeah, how many of you have ever had that happen? When you think you're in control, there's one little something that just all of a sudden helps you to understand, I am not as much in control as I thought. I thought I had it all together, but, but when, you, when you grasp it and you think you've got every I dotted and every T crossed and everything is wonderful, all of a sudden there's one little hiccup, one little problem, and you realize you are not in control. Now, to all those who raised your hand while ago, how do you feel when you are not in control? Yeah, That's the time when frustration mounts. When all of a sudden you realize you're not in control. What do you do when you're not in control? And I think that can help us to understand it. There's a passage of Scripture, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. I'm asking the pastor to read it just to give my voice a break. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Even when you're out of control, even when your life seems like it's spinning in a downward spiral and you're not in control and you want to be in control, in times like these, the Bible offers us that, that passage. One translation says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer 
and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. There comes a time when our life is spiraling out of control. The best thing we can do is in everything by prayer and supplications make our requests known. When our life is spiraling out of control, we can let the peace of God that passeth all understanding wash over us and be that enveloping presence that we feel. It's the peace of God. It's amazing how when everything is going great, and one phone call turns your world upside down. That's all it takes. Would you raise your hand if you've gotten that one phone call? Turns your life upside down. Everything's under control. Everything's smooth sailing until that stuff happens. And my question for us tonight is, what do you do when that stuff happens? I could identify stuff, but I may leave your stuff out. So I'm going to let your mind, your imagination, put your stuff in that, in that definition. What do you do when all of that kind of stuff happens to you? When you think you're in control and everything starts falling in a heap around you, what do you do? I'd like to tell you a little story. It's a true story. Happened in May, excuse me, in April of 1979. Happened to a, a tugboat pilot by the name of Wilkerson. Captain Timothy Wilkerson southern alabama was piloting his tugboat he was pushing four barges downriver and guiding them to a harbor somewhere down below and there was a, a lift bridge that he was coming into and before he crossed through the lift bridge he was gonna get rid of two of his barges and just go through with two and then someone else would bring the other two up to him and then he would link back and have all four going so he dropped off two barges he was in the process he had unhooked from the other two and was re-fastening them and and he realized that he had misjudged his speed a little bit and he was getting too close to the bridge too fast before the lift was lifted and so he had twin engines 1800 horsepower per engine and he put those thank you sir he put those in reverse put those engines in reverse and as he tried to back away from the bridge what happened was he got his boat a little crooked from the course he needed to be in and the current caught him and the current caught him and side blasted him right against the bridge the unlifted bridge itself and the current when, when it hit when he hit the bridge he was tipped in away from the bridge and and when that happened, the current caught him and just flipped his tugboat. Now, how many of you have seen a tugboat pushing barge after barge after barge? They look small in comparison to the load that they're carrying, but they are a powerful boat, the tugboat. His boat hit the, the, the bridge. The current caught him, and it flipped his tugboat upside down. There were viewers watching. There was men on the bridge waiting to lift it up. Viewers were watching what happened. The, the current caught that big tugboat, flipped it upside down, underwater, it disappeared from sight, and it went under the bridge and bobbed up on the other side and immediately flipped, righted itself. Both engines were still running and the captain was still standing at the wheel. It was a covered cabin, I understand. 
They couldn't believe it. And, and people were questioning, how could that tugboat ride itself? It's because of the way it's built. That particular tugboat, the Kabbalah, had a 40-inch band of cement all in, the, in its hull that gave it bottom weight to keep it upright. And because of the way it was built, when it went through the rough times, it came out on the other side with his motor still running and the captain still standing at the wheel. I want to give you a word tonight. There's going to be some rough times for every one of you. But if you will allow God to build the ship that you're riding in, when you come to the current of life that threatens to destroy you, it's going to flip you upside down. It's going to take you underwater. But when you come out on the other side by the grace of God, you're going to be upright. Your motors are both going to still be running. And the captain is still going to be standing at the helm of that ship. Why? It's because of the way you're built. You wonder why this church has a Wednesday night Bible study and a ladies Bible study and a Tuesday night prayer meeting because it's concerned about the way you're built. It's not just concerned about putting a fresh coat of paint on your outer hull. It's not concerned about putting another coat of varnish on the wood deck but is concerned that you're built to be able to stand when you come against the currents of life that want to destroy you and sink you. But if you'll just rest in that old ship of Zion, if you'll just relax in Him and say, God, my faith and my trust is in You. And when I go through those rough times, even upside down, by Your grace, I'm coming through victorious. Hallelujah. Now, I tell you that because later on tonight when I say God can put you upright, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I took a little time to tell you that story. True story. Check it out. True story. Now, in Acts chapter 16, though, there's a subject that's going on, and I would like to look at that subject for a while. Acts chapter 16 tells the story of Paul and Silas who were punished, thrown in jail, and at midnight they began singing and a miracle happened. But that story could just, just came that far from not being about Paul and Silas, but being about Paul and Barnabas. Think about a little Bible history with me. Go back to chapter 9. Saul on the road to Damascus, struck down by a light, heard a voice from heaven speak to him, and he spoke back, and he said, Lord, who art thou? And, and the voice said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And to this man who was persecuting Christians because they followed Christ rather than as he thought they should, follow Jehovah. He wanted to persecute and put them all in prison. But now he comes to a realization that Jehovah, who envelops everything and could speak to me from heaven, that is Jesus Christ. And the voice from heaven told me, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And in that one message that Jesus gave to Paul, there was a conversion of thought, a blindness came across his eyes at that time. He went to the house of Ananias. 
He heard a gospel message. He believed. He was baptized. Later on, he writes that he spoke in tongue more than us all. He was, he was an amazing man. He changed his name from Saul to Paul. Put yourself in the, in the life of those Christians around him. Wouldn't you like him to be your Sunday night speaker in your little house church that you gather in kind of privately? Wouldn't you love to have Paul to come in there? No, no, because he's the one that persecuted the saints. He's the one that put your brother in jail. He's the one that put your grandpa and all the rest of that part of the family in prison. Some of them were beheaded. And you, no, you would be afraid of him. And they were. Paul had a great conversion. A lot of great things happened in his life. But still people thought he's probably a wolf in sheep's clothing trying to get in among the flock of Christ. But there was a man by the name of Barnabas. Barnabas spent a little time with Paul, and he saw that he was true, saw that he was honest. His conversion was, was, was real. And so he told the rest of the, the church, he says, this man has been converted by God. And he helped to tell Paul's story. I believe in this man, therefore I believe you can believe in this man. And because those people out there believed Barnabas, believed his recommendation of Paul, then they said, we can believe Paul too. Paul and Barnabas started doing missionary work. They went to Antioch. Great things happened. The, the men of God got together and prayed, what should we do with these men? And, and the, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Paul so that they can go and do the work that I've called them to do. The Holy Ghost put that team together. It wasn't because they had complementary personalities that they were together. It wasn't because they both liked Mexican food that they could travel together in so much pleasantness. It wasn't because they... They like, what's that round stuff that I don't, sushi? It, it may, yeah. You either love it or hate it. I saw faces and smiles at the same time. It wasn't because they liked sushi that they got together. That was not the common bond. But the Holy Ghost brought them together and said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul. And they began doing their missionary work. They went back to Antioch. They did some great work there. They saw miracles happen. And while they were there, they even did some charity work. They heard that there was a group of people over there who were in desperate need. And so they raised offerings from some different places. And they brought that offering back to Jerusalem. And they gave it to the, to the, to the elders at Jerusalem and, and asked them to pass out the offering that they, to those needy people. And they did. That was a good thing. And then they're going to go back to Antioch. When they go back to Antioch, Zane, if you would come up here just for a minute. When they went back to Antioch, when they went back to Antioch, they had, a, they had someone with them. They had a guy by the name of John Mark. John Mark's mother's name was Mary. She had prayer meetings in her home. That's a wonderful thing. Any of y'all have prayer meetings in y'all's home? No. She had prayer meetings in her home. And she raised a boy by the name of John Mark. And when, they, when the disciples, John, uh, Peter, Paul, and Barnabas went back to Antioch, they took John Mark with them. Come on, sir. John Mark went with them. 
They go to Antioch and they do the work of God for a while in Antioch. And whenever they're, they're ministering at Antioch, some great things happen. But after a while at Antioch, John Mark decided, I'm going back home. I'm through with this missionary trip. Now, we would be reading between the lines to put a lot of motive in why he left. So John Mark, I'm not putting any reason for you leaving our missionary trip. I'm not saying you went back home to mama. Because that wouldn't be a bad thing. His mother was a praying lady and had prayer meetings in her home. I'm not saying that it was too tough for you. Because the Bible doesn't say it was too tough for him. The Bible just says he left, went home. So you can go, not home, but to your home base there. Thank you, John Mark. Now, he left. John Mark, excuse me, Barnabas and Paul kept preaching, kept ministering, kept doing the work of God. They went out to some other places and did some great things. And they came back to Antioch, kind of their home base. And, and they were telling all of the people there, all of the elders of the church Antioch, what had happened, the glorious things that had happened. And then two people came in saying, you know, we've, we've got a, a teaching that you need to teach here. And that is that all of the Gentile converted believers now need to be circumcised. And Paul and Barnabas had been working in all of these Gentile places. And that was not a requirement they had laid on anybody. They didn't think it was a proper requirement for, for these Gentile Christians to have to become Jewish by circumcision. They didn't think that was necessary. And so they contested those people at Antioch. Then the Antioch elder said, you know, we need to take this discussion back to Jerusalem where there are some more apostles and prophets and the elders of the church, and let's settle it there. So Paul takes the argument, the discussion, the dissension. He takes it back to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, they hash it out. Paul says his stuff. Barnabas says his stuff. The other people say their stuff. And then the elders at Jerusalem come to a decision. They decide that the Gentiles do not need to be circumcised. And there's some other things that they discuss there. And so they wrote a letter to pass among the churches to tell what their decision had been in this important matter because Gentiles were being added to the church. And so Paul and Barnabas and some other people and a, and a prophet by the name of Silas go back carrying that letter. It really didn't take that many people to carry the letter, but the group, they, they go back to Antioch to bring this letter to the folks at Antioch to let them know what the church, the overall body of Christ, in Jerusalem, what they had decided and what they were going to do. It's a perfect example of submission in the church. This was not an example of Paul being submitted to his mentor, Barnabas. That wasn't the issue. It was broader than just being submissive to your mentor. They had to go back to Jerusalem, where the group of, of apostles and prophets and elders had gathered to make a decision prayerfully with God's guidance they came to a decision so it was a submission to the authority of God's church it worked it worked so they end up they, they go now they're, they're, they're back in Antioch they carry the letter and they're there for a while they, they go out and do a little ministry there and then they come back and then Paul now up to this point it always labels Barnabas and Paul 
Even the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Paul. But now Paul is the initiator of this. And Paul says, you know, Barnabas, it would be a good thing if we make a, a trip and go visit all of the churches that we founded and see how they're doing. Check up on them. Make sure they're still preaching the, the straight gospel. Make sure they haven't veered. And if there's anything that's crept in, we can, we can teach and, and let the word of God convict and we can bring them back to a point of truth. Let, let's go and do that. And Barnabas said, that's a great idea. Let's do that. And, and let's get John Mark to go with us. Because remember, John Mark was kind of a, a protege of Barnabas, just like Paul had been. Barnabas was known as, a, as an encourager, a builder up of people, an establisher of people and their ministries. He was that kind of a guy. And now he's wanting to bring John Mark along, and Paul says, no way. The guy left us high and dry last time. He just walked out. I'm not having him come and, and try him out again for him to leave again. You know that old saying, fool me once, shame on you. But fool me twice, shame on me. Paul said, I'm not going to let him join us. And the contention was so great. They discussed it. Neither one of them would give. They both were hard-headed. They both were leaders. They both had things that they wanted to accomplish. Barnabas wanted to accomplish the establishing of John Mark. Paul wanted to, to accomplish the establishing of churches. He didn't feel he could do it with someone like John Mark who would leave. So they were so, the, the, the friction was so great till they decided that they would, they would part ways. And so Barnabas took John Mark and he went that way, doing the work of God. And Paul, he looked around and there was no one there that he had traveled with. There was no one around that he had proven. The relationship that the Holy Ghost had built with him and Barnabas had been separated. That relationship was no more. A relationship that Paul cherished was, was destroyed before his eyes. Any of you ever been there? Where a relationship that you cherished was destroyed before your eyes. Perhaps because you were hard-headed. Perhaps because the other person was hard-headed. Perhaps just because. And all of a sudden, Paul, who thought he had everything under control, he comes where he has lost a very important relationship. And things are starting to spin out of control. He knows what God wants him to do. He's a missionary. He's got places to go and churches to establish. And but he has no partner. Read the scripture. Um, Acts chapter 16. There, there's someone that comes recommended to him by the name of Silas. He was that prophet that had left Jerusalem and come back, helped him carry that letter back. God was providing. Sister Brianne, you could have kept singing that song. When I don't see him working, he's still working. I don't remember the exact words. When I don't see him working, he is still working. When I don't see him working, he is still working. Paul didn't see him working. All Paul saw was a destroyed relationship that he cherished, but it had gone. It had been busted to smithereens by the attitudes of two men. But God 
was still working. And when you suffer losses and when you are spinning out of control, don't ever think that you're in it alone at that time. God is working when you don't see him working. So with some recommendation, Paul asked Saul, uh, Silas, Silas, would you be my partner? Would you go with me on this trip? Silas joined him. They started a trip. They went to different places. But finally they came to Philippi. Paul and Silas, they're at Philippi. This is an untried partner. If you, have you ever had a relationship with someone that fell apart and then you, you, you have a relationship with someone else and it's just not tried yet? And you don't know how they're going to react in the situation. The other partner, you'd been with them so long you knew, but now you don't. It's tough. Paul was still not in control. But the question I'm asking constantly tonight is, what do you do when you're not in control? I want to tell you what Paul did. I think there's a lesson for us. Paul goes to Philippi. Read it. What's the first thing he did? He went to the riverbank where people were, kind of had a habit of gathering for prayer. He went to prayer when he was spinning out of control. He goes to this, this riverbank and people are praying here. Paul probably prayed for a little bit, but that burning message inside of him started churning, and he started preaching the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lydia, the seller of purple, she obviously was a well-to-do lady. She had her own home. She had her own business, and she believed. So much as she said, would you come to, to my home, you and Silas and your team? Come to my home, base out of there, preach, teach, minister and they did and the household believed other people believed and the church in Philippi started growing Paul would walk to that riverbank that place of prayer that place of preaching that place of teaching but when he walked to the prayer meeting there was this lady this damsel she was a slave girl probably she had a spirit of divination she could tell you fortune my advice to you, somewhere between here and, the, and the, whatever that mall is over there, there's, there's a, a building. I see the lights on it at times. It's a fortune teller's place. Any of y'all, you know the one I'm talking about? Oh, y'all hadn't been looking. Oh, good, you hadn't been looking. I see some of it. Yeah, it's, as you're driving east, it's on, your, it's on your right. Right before you get to the exit for the mall, somewhere over there. Y'all start looking for it. No, 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 no. No, don't go there. Go there, they'll ask you, now, what is your name? <laughs> You're not very good if you have to ask that question. <laughs> and where do you live? You tell me. <laughs> but that was this damsel. She comes out and she starts, all oh, these are men sent from God. They've come to tell us the way of salvation. That is a true message, but it's coming from a, an unclean spirit there can be true messages coming from unclean spirits you should try the spirits but you should also try the messages
And this lady kept doing it. Every time Paul walked by, she'd run out from the crowd. Say, oh, these are men of God. They, they've come to tell us the way of salvation. And Paul's patience probably was a little short. That's why he didn't want John Mark coming with him. But his patience was a little short. And finally, the lady just pushed his buttons too far. And he, he cast that spirit of divination out of that little damsel. I'm sure it was better for her. But there were men who were making money off of her abilities to tell people's fortunes. And whenever she lost her gift, they lost their money. And they were angry. So they go to the magistrates and those in authority, and they tell them, Paul and Silas are here. They are from another country. They're Romans. They don't do it our way. They're, they're telling false things. They're spreading false cultures and habits, and, and we need to, to put them in prison. So the magistrates got them, got Paul and Silas, beat them with rods, the Bible tells us. And they brought him. Brother Jared, if you'd come, wake up long enough to come with me. If you'll grab that, we just can pull it forward a little bit. We only need those two. That's good. Have a seat, sir. This is Silas. Not Silas Mourner. M-A-R-N-E-R. Some of you know the story. It's not Silas Mourner. This is, this is Silas, the prophet came from Jerusalem. Someone recommended that I travel with him. And so I've traveled with him. We did a good thing. We cast the, the evil spirit out of that lady. She had that evil spirit of divinity. We cast that out of her. We set her free. But now they beat us. They've cast us into prison, into the inner prison. They've locked our, our, our feet and our hands, we're in shackles. We've been chained to this prison. Our life is spinning out of control, Silas. We're beaten. We're broken. We did something good. We're confused. We don't understand. Why should we get punished for doing something good? Life is spinning out of control. So what do we do when we're spinning out of control? We pray. Any other suggestions? Coming from Acts chapter 6. We sing and worship. And so all of a sudden, these two guys that were chained up, maybe together, maybe just chained to the walls of the prison. The doors are shut. The prisoner, the, the keeper of the prison, is out there somewhere making sure we're locked up. He's been charged with keeping us locked up. We're in a bad fix. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We are out of control. We have been in control in a lot of times, but now we are out of control. What do we do? I don't know what they sang. I don't know if they were from the old school. <laughs> I don't know if they made up words as they went. I don't know if they say, victory tonight, hallelujah, victory tonight, victory on this old jailhouse victory tonight hallelujah victory tonight victory in this old jailhouse I don't know what they sing that would definitely be old school if I would have been there this is one I would not have sang unless God really helped me this is the day this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. We will rejoice, we will rejoice and be glad, woo, it, and be glad in it. Oh, this is the day that the Lord has made, 
I will rejoice and be glad. That, that's probably not a song that I would have sang. <laughs> Put that little plastic smile on. I will rejoice and be glad. Beaten. My body's been beaten with rods. The rats crawling across my feet. The water, the, the stench from the guy that was here last time is still here. I don't know what they sang. You know, if I'd have had chains, I'd have sang one of those chain-breaking songs like Lighthouse can sing. Sister Brianne, I can never think of those names of the song because they're new songs. But what, what are they? Sing them. Hallelujah. 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 Sing us another one. I know there's another chain-breaking song. Bible says that an earthquake shook the prison and it swung open the doors and it opened up their shackles and they were free. <laughs> Hallelujah. Not only were Paul and Silas free, but every jailer, I mean every prisoner in that jail was free. Everybody's shackles came off. Everybody's doors were open. They were all free because somebody did the right thing when it was a wrong time. They made a right choice when everything around them was spinning out of control. They said, I'm going to do what God has called me to do. That's to pray. I, whenever all my relationships have broken and I'm trying to hopscotch something back together, I will go to a place of prayer. Whenever they've beaten me and locked me up and, and my good have been turned against me and made for evil, I'm going to sing and worship God. It's going to set me free. Thank you, sir. It's going to set me free and it'll set the people around me free. Hallelujah. I am so glad that when my midnight hour comes, God has something for me to do when everything is spinning out of control. One of the greatest things Paul did, he just did what he was called to do. He lost his relationship with, with Barnabas. 
That was a tough time. He gets another guy that came recommended, but no proof in the pudding for Paul. He's traveling now with a new guy, but Paul just did what he had been called to do. Let's go out and do missionary work again. I know that's a lot of story. I told you about Captain Wilkerson and his boat turning right side up. I've told you some other things. But I want to talk to everyone here. There comes a time when your ship is upside down. There comes a time when the partner that you tra- cher- cherished and treasured has been separated from you from, for whatever means. And I'm not talking just about a spouse. There are other partners that we have in life that we do life together with, and sometimes there comes a separation. There's sometimes you work with somebody that's you just can work hand in glove with that person, and then something transpires and that person is no longer there, and you still have the work to do, but the new guy, you don't know about the new guy, and you're trying to piecemeal things together and make it or sometimes that our life just starts spinning out of control. Somewhere in my past, I've been a lot of places. I could almost sing that song. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere. <laughs> what are you laughing for, Dwayne? You know that song, too. I could almost sing that song. I've been here. So I'm not telling you where. There was a man and a woman. Had teenage children. They'd gotten the Holy Ghost. He was an amazing man. I told you the whole story. Whether the pastor will know him, them. He was a he was a tall guy. He would run, brother uh, 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 Andy. Yeah. He would run Brother Andy a race for height. He always said, I think on the third, maybe second pew, pastors talked about him before when the spirit hit him, just one step, he was stepped to over those two rows of pews and he was on the front, front place. He, he was a big man, a worshiper. When he was in the world, he was, he was a bruiser in bars. He, he wasn't the bouncer. He was the one that caused the bouncers to need to be there. And... If it wasn't for him, they'd have gone broke. He'd be in the bars. He'd be fighting. His wife would go to the bars with her. She's a little kind of more petite than he was, and she'd be in the bars with him. One night he was fighting, picking people up, throwing them over tables. Just He was a huge beef of a man. And he looked down, and his wife had her purse swing. She'd just whopping people with her purse. And, and as little, he felt a little pride in my wife. You know, she's in this with me. But then he looked down, and he'd forgotten. He brought his little boy. And his little boy had his arms, his, his arms and legs wrapped around the, the, arms, the, the leg of one of the guys that was fighting, trying to help his dad out a bit. The dad just stopped fighting. He got his boy, and he got his wife. said, well, I'm through with this. And he left. Went to a church that a friend had been inviting him to. God made a difference change your life, fill them with the Holy Ghost. She had a job, good job, very good job, and there was a there was an opportunity for advancement. Somebody was going to get a promotion. One of the ladies was going to get a 
promotion, very good promotion. She wanted it. She had good seniority. She wanted it. She desired it. She even had the latest, the latest prayer meeting pray that she would get that advancement. But when the, the powers that be made their choice, they chose a younger, and I put quotes around this, prettier, and I put quotes around that woman. And this lady was so upset with not getting chosen till she left work she went and got her hair all cut off perm fixed up she went to a place and just had stuff slathered all over her big huge big bought her a new wardrobe she thought that lady got that position because she was that way in order for me to compete for that next advancement I'm gonna go that way when her world spun out of control she made a wrong choice time proved that it was wrong she realized it was wrong she realized her husband go to church and leave her sitting at home in her rough way finally she came to her senses kind of like the guy in the pig pen she came to her senses straighten some things out in her life God made a difference I'm asking you tonight when you don't get picked when you do something good and you're punished for it and misunderstood when life doesn't seem as being fair to you and when you who like to be in control when all of a sudden you find that life is spinning out of control what do you do I would like to tell you in simple ways Find your place to that common place of prayer. Maybe the bank of the river where Lydia is. It may be the, the, the floor of a church where Sister Sorrels is. But find that place of prayer and say, God, it's me again. I've had some rough roads. I've lost, I lost a vital relationship. But I'm coming to you in prayer and start building that relationship again. And God will say, you know, there's a work for you to do. And you'll find something else to do. And then whenever it hits you again, when life hits you another blow, it's time to hit that worshiping and singing and praising. Ask Sister Brian to bring that, uh, that group to your house. Say, y'all got to come sing me out of these doldrums. David sang for Saul and got him out of his doldrums a time or two. Get him to come. And by the power of God, get you out of your doldrums. Let his spirit reign. And whenever it get so bad just do what you've been called to do bible says for you not to be weary in well doing pastor there's a final scripture if you would read that and tell us where it is it's the the final i gave you two scriptures um, i have no clue that's it that's it that is it That wasn't it. <laughs> Brother Tim, somebody back there, I sent you an email earlier today that had that on it. Do you have that? John 16, 33. Great. Oh, yeah, here it is. Great. What an IT team. Thank you. Whoa, y'all are good. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me 
I want you to notice in that one passage of Scripture, there are two words that seemingly are so contradicted. The first is the word peace. He said, in me you're going to have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. And I hate to break this news to you, but you live in both of those places. You live in Him and you live in the world. You can be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good, but you're still living in this world. In this world. And because you're living in this world, and at the same time, oh, it went away. At the same time, by God's grace, you have peace. God has ordained that you're going to have peace and tribulation. You're going to have both of them in your life. But don't worry about that. Let the peace that passeth all understanding that we read at the start, let that peace that passeth all understanding wash over you. And whenever your ship is going under the bridge upside down, just rest in how you have been built. You were built. You, you have a foundation, the apostles and the prophets and Jesus, all embedded through your whole system. You have, been, you have been built to win. You have not been built to lose. You were born again to win. And by God's grace, even though you're upside down sometimes when you're going through some struggles, if you'll just rest in Jesus Christ, cast your cares on Him, for He careth for you, all of a sudden He's going to right your ship, and by His grace your engines are going to both be running, and the captain is going to be still standing at the wheel, guiding you to safe havens. Hallelujah. Shall we stand tonight? Hallelujah. To the choir that sang in the midst, thank you. You did great. God has given us some songs to sing in the night. Every song you sing is, it, you may sing it here on a Sunday night when everything is glowing and going and growing, but there's some dismal Monday mornings you can sing those same songs in your prison. You can sing those same songs when you're bound by certain things that you don't want in your life. Let the Word of God transform you into His likeness. Let it happen. Let His peace wash over you. Let His Word wash over you. Find a place of prayer. Find a place of worship. Find a place of service. And do what God has called you to do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah theme for this year is invest so when you get to the bottom of the heap what can you do you can start investing in that prayer group you can start investing in that time of worship and praise you can start investing in the ministry that God has called you to do I'm thrilled when I hear of different things that people in this congregation are doing. Places of service that you've stepped in and you filled a gap and meeting a tremendous need by God's grace. I love to hear that. I love to see the people gathered in the house of God. Not so that we can say we had ever how many number of people here, but we can say we have somebody who's ready to invest in prayer, invest in worship, invest, invest in the work to which God has called us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Three things, simple things. Invest in that time of prayer. Invest in that time of worship and praise. And invest in the work that God has called you to do. 
I don't know which of those struck you as an individual more strongly. I doubt if all three of them hit you evenly. If one of those hit you more strongly, think about it. Pray about it. Let that desire for that aspect grow. Talk to the pastor. Talk to your youth pastor. Talk to the sister of sorrows, the ladies leader. Talk to whoever, somebody that can help you. Because I want, to, I want you to find your way out of that pit, out of that time of loss. Hallelujah. Can we pray together? Lord Jesus, I feel your spirit, and I thank you for it. You've washed over us through this service time after time. Right now, God, I pray that you would touch every individual gathered here. You see the one that needs to, to become active in prayer. They've let that.